Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 139 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have an update on vaccine passports for COVID-19. We then look at progress on the draft data adequacy statement from the European Commission and whether the EU is dragging its heels on the necessary steps to bring that forward and make that a accepted regulation for the next four years so that the UK will remain an adequate country. We then have an update on the data breach at Facebook, and we then have news of a data breach at LinkedIn, which has exposed the details of 500 million users. We then travel to Scotland where a Freedom of Information request has released details of the number of data breaches for each Scottish NHS trust. And then we travel to America where a number of US universities have been affected by the Acelion data breach. And then back to the UK and we look at what you need to do to comply with employee data subject access requests. Then we travel to Dubai where Dubai has just introduced new data protection law based heavily upon GDPR. And then finally this week, we look at whether where anonymised data is concerned, whether anonymised data under CCPA is the same as anonymised data under GDPR. So as always, a good mix of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into future episodes of the show. Unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Stay home, stay safe. Welcome to episode 139 of the GPL Weekly Show, and this week we begin with an update to a story that we've been carrying in the last couple of weeks. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that we've been discussing the possibility of digital vaccination passports to allow travel and entrance to large events like concerts or sporting events as we move out of the vaccination stage of COVID and into the next stage of whatever the new normal may look like of living with COVID. This is all taking a step forward this week with news that the UK government has commissioned 15 companies to conduct trials of prototypes of digital and paper vaccine passports. And I think the inclusion of paper vaccine passports is particularly interesting because it shows that the government has listened to feedback that not everyone has access to a smartphone which can display a QR code on their phone. Some people will still require it in good old-fashioned paper form. The government has not disclosed quite what form these trials will take although it is expected there may be some involvement of these trials with the pilot events for large events which the UK is planning for example the FA Cup final at Wembley where it's hoped that a crowd of 20,000 can be accommodated. This story about vaccine passports is likely to continue to run on into later this year and so whenever there's news to report we will bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. And now, the rest of this week's news. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that we've spoken a number of times about data adequacy for the UK now that the UK has exited from the EU. Back in February, the European Commission issued a draft adequacy notice for data transfers between the EU and the UK, and that 
notice is slowly working its way through the process of being ratified by the various European bodies before it comes back to the European Parliament and the European Commission for final approval. But the clock is ticking because the current holding situation which we have for which the first phase expires at the end of this month, so less than three weeks away. Now, both the UK and the EU have the option to continue that transition period for another two months, and there's nothing at this stage to suggest that that is not going to happen, and so the transition period will run on for another two months. But the speed with which the previous four months of elapsed perhaps serves to heighten the need to ensure that the process of the data literacy decision is given some momentum and it seems to lack that momentum at the moment and that's concerning because with only two months to go for it to be ratified and a number of stages for it still to go through it could be that the UK ends up as a third country for GDPR purposes by default simply because it runs out of time however we have to counter that with the knowledge that the eu way of approaching any of these negotiations the so-called strasbourg effect means that it's not unusual for it to get to the 11th hour before any decision is made but it would be a great shame i think if the hard work which the eu commission did put into getting the original draft data adequacy decision issued way back in February and well ahead of anyone's expectations of when that would be issued, is effectively squandered now just by people dragging their heels. This is something we're keeping a very close eye on because of the way the clock is ticking and we will bring you further update in the next few weeks here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday 4pm UK time. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that way back since episode 8 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we've been bringing you updates on the large data breach at Facebook, which saw the breach of some 533 million Facebook users' details. This data breach has fallen to the Irish Data Protection Commission to investigate because Facebook has its European head office in Dublin. And while the Irish authorities have been criticised in the past, including by ourselves here on the GDPR Weekly Show, for their lack of speed in tackling this issue with Facebook, it does now appear that as more details have become clear of the data that was stolen or leaked, that Facebook may escape penalty under GDPR simply because all the data which was breached was actually breached prior to May the 25th, 2018, when GDPR came into force. And of course, law can't be retrospective, so GDPR doesn't apply if the data breach wholly occurred before that time. And that is what Facebook is now claiming, because Facebook is saying that although there may be data contained within the leaked data sets, which postdates the introduction of GDPR, and therefore the breach would fall under GDPR, Facebook's argument is that that data did not come from Facebook. They're not disputing the original data came from Facebook, but they are disputing that the data after the introduction of GDPR came from Facebook. They're saying that the data stolen before GDPR came into force has been used to extract other data from other databases from third parties which have been hacked since May 2018. It will be interesting to see quite how Facebook goes about trying to prove that this is the case, but of course if they can prove it, 
then factually they're correct. The breach doesn't fall under the GDPR, therefore it will fall under previous data protection legislation, which effectively means that Facebook will probably get away with a relatively small penalty or maybe even no penalty at all. There isn't going to be a quick conclusion to this, so we will continue to keep a watching brief on this Facebook data breach here on the GDPR Weekly Show, as indeed we have done for the last two years now. But one interesting thing to come out of this latest update is that Facebook have made public their decision that they are not going to contact any Facebook user who may have had their data breached. Now they're saying the reason they're not going to do that is because they can't be certain who's had their data breached because they know whose data was taken, as they say, before the date GDPR was introduced, but they don't know whose data is in the data that's been added to that data set since. So their reasoning behind that then is to take the view of saying, well, we can't be certain who we need to contact, so we're not going to contact anyone. Now, personally, I think that's a very arrogant attitude to take, but perhaps given our experience of Facebook in the past, that shouldn't come as any great surprise. This Facebook story is going to rumble on, we're sure of that, and so we will bring you updates whenever we can in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Facebook isn't the only large social network to be hit with more details of a data breach this week. LinkedIn is also the latest victim of a massive data breach and the data of over 500 million of its users has been scraped from the platform and posted online for sale. The data set includes sensitive information like email addresses, phone numbers, workplace information, full names, account IDs, links to other social media accounts and gender details. It's understood that the breach data is reportedly being sold on the dark web by a user who's dumped the data of over 2 million users as proof that they have the data. The hacker is asking for a four-digit amount in US dollars in exchange for the breach data, potentially in the form of bitcoins. LinkedIn has over 740 million users and has confirmed the data breach has taken place. In an official statement, a LinkedIn spokesperson said, while we're still investigating this issue, the posted data set appears to include publicly viewable information that was straight from LinkedIn combined with data aggregated from other websites or companies. Scraping our members' data from LinkedIn violates our terms of service and we are constantly working to protect our members and their data. LinkedIn said they will issue a further statement when they've had more time to investigate the breach and so whenever we get that update from LinkedIn, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. A Freedom of Information request has revealed the extent of data breaches across the Scottish National Health Service. NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde recorded the highest number of breaches. It says that since January 2018, the board has recorded 673 data breaches, of which 95% were a result of human error. 5% resulted in disciplinary action. NHS Tayside said there have been 273 data breaches, but said it could not disclose what action, if any, had been taken against staff because the information is not held centrally. NHS Lanarkshire said there have been 220 incidents recorded. These resulted in 34 first written warnings, one second and final written warning, and four people were given formal counselling. Three incidents were reported to the police. NHS Borders revealed there had been 95 recorded data breaches with no individuals dismissed. One person resigned before an investigation was concluded, it said. NHS Ayrshire and Aaron said it could not provide figures for the number of breaches, but did say that one case had been referred to Police Scotland. NHS Western Isles said there were 84 breaches, but no staff had been disciplined. NHS Shetland reported 24 data breaches, 
The vast majority of the reports were due to patient information being disclosed to the wrong person because of administrative errors. NHS Orkney recorded eight data breaches, while NHS Grampian said 45 incidents had been recorded and NHS Highland recorded just six data breaches. NHS Dumfries and Galloway said there had been 12 breaches. NHS Fourth Valley did not disclose figures. Neither did NHS Fife. Nonetheless, the results give an interesting picture of data breaches across the NHS in Scotland. While in some cases the number of data breaches may appear large, our view is that there is no particular cause for concern as procedures appear to be in place and well organised to detect when such breaches have occurred and the majority of breaches are simple human error where someone sends the wrong data to the wrong person and regular listeners to the GDPR Weekly Show will know that that's one of our favourite things to mention is that it is by far, in our experience, the most common data breach right across the UK. So whenever you send something to someone outside your organisation, if it contains personal data, then just double-check that you are sending it to the right person and save yourself the whole hassle of dealing with a data breach. If you or your staff would like training in how to detect data breaches, how to handle data breaches, and indeed all other elements of GDPR, then please do contact us via the contact details which are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. Several universities across America appear to be the victims of a data breach connected to vulnerabilities in file transfer software sold by IT security company Acelion. Files containing sensitive information from Stanford University, the University of Maryland, Baltimore, the University of Miami, the University of California... Merced, the University of Colorado and Yeshiva University were recently discovered on the dark web. A statement from the University of California published on Wednesday advised faculty members, students and staff members at all the University of California campuses not to respond to emails stating your personal data has been stolen and will be published. We believe the person behind this attack is sending threatening mass emails to members of the University of California community in an attempt to scare people into giving them money, the statement said. Anyone receiving this message should either forward it to your local information security office or simply delete it. It's understood that the university's data files were shared on a website called CLOP, which is best known to share snippets of stolen information and demand a ransom in return for not publishing the rest of the data. We've not had any formal statement from Acelion, but if we do receive that statement or indeed a statement from any of the other universities, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. A regular question we received to our help desk is from employers who've received a data subject access request from their employee and want to know A, what information they have to provide and B, how best they should provide it. So we thought it'd be worth just putting together this little article to give you some of the key elements. Article 15 of GDPR gives your employees the right to request information from you as a employer. And it's important to remember that the definition of employee is quite loose. So it's not just your formal salaried employees, but it's any other independent contractors or consultants or temporary staff who you've had working for you too. And it's also important where those staff have been working, because it covers individuals employed, engaged, or otherwise working in an EU member state, individuals employed or engaged by an entity based in an EU member state, i.e. if you're based in an EU member state, the worker could actually be based anywhere, and individuals are nationals of any EU member state, 
even if they are based or otherwise working overseas. So what information do you need to provide? Well, Article 15 says that you need to provide the purposes of the data processing, the categories of personal data processed, previous, current or future data recipients, the period for which such data is stored, the source of origin of the data if the data did not come from the employee themselves, the existence of any automated decision-making processes using that data. Employers must also inform employees of the rights to object to processing, other individual rights available to including the right of erasure, rectification and data portability, and the right to complain to the supervisory authority. It's worth remembering there's no specific requirement for how the employee must request this information. They can do it by email, they can do it by completing a form on your intranet if you have one, they can do it by completing a paper form, or they can just do it verbally. Any of those are perfectly valid ways of the employee asking for the information. And you can't say, well, we're not going to process it until you fill in the correct form. It doesn't work like that. Once the request has been made, then you have 30 days to provide that information to the employee. It's important as well that you can't charge the employee anything for providing the information. You have to do it all for free. However, there is an exception to that. If the employee has already had the information, so let's suppose they've made a data subject access request three months ago, and they now come to you making a second request, all you'll legally need to provide them for free is anything that's changed between the last request and the current one. If they want all the information again, then you are allowed to charge them a fee for finding that information and providing it to them. There are several important things that you should do. The first, obviously, is make sure you've got procedures in place to deal with these data subject access requests. Secondly, you should document each request carefully, including the searches carried out, the application and the exemptions, and the communication with and responses to the individual to evidence compliant conduct if required. And you should ensure that the evidence strictly complies with your data retention schedules. And, of course, you should ensure that you are sending the data to the right person. Now, normally, it has to be the employee themselves who make the request, but it could be a third party, it could be a solicitor or a trade union, and they're perfectly entitled to make that request, providing they can provide you with signed authorization from the employee to provide the information to them. So does this really matter? Well, A, in the grounds of good employer-employee relations, you'd want to provide the information, we would hope. But secondly, if you don't provide it, then that's a breach of GDPR. And if the employee reports you to the governing body, whether that's the ICO here in the UK or the Data Protection Authority in any other European country, then potentially you lay yourself open to penalties. And just like any other breach of GDPR, the maximum penalty is 4% of your turnover. So our advice would always be to comply with employee data subject access requests, provide them with the information that they've requested. You should provide the information in writing unless the employee expressly agrees to just receiving the information verbally, but then you must record that they did ask for the information to be provided verbally and do it within the 30 days. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800 808 5312. To Dubai now, and the Dubai International Financial Centre, DIFC, has issued a new DIFC data protection law, DIFC law number 5 of 2020, to be known as the DIFC data protection law. The DIFC data protection law replaces the previous DIFC data protection law, which was DIFC law number 1 of 2007. Modelled on GDPR, the DIFC data protection law provides enhanced standards and controls for the processing and movement of personal data by controllers and processors and protects the fundamental rights of data subjects. 
Guidance issued by the Dubai Commissioner of Data Protection sets out what controllers and processors should consider the following matters with regards to enhancing information security and protecting against personal data breaches. What are the biggest areas for security breach or unauthorised data access or loss? Are physical security measures considered in information security policies? How are the staff trained about breaches reporting and incident management? And is there an incident management policy? It sets out that controllers and processors should prepare an incident response plan to ensure the correct procedures are followed to reduce the risk of personal data breaches and to know what to do if a breach incident occurs. It also lays down that controllers and processors should ensure that they provide specific DIFC data protection law training to personnel, including training focused on data breach incidents. The DIFC data protection law sets out that if there is a personal data breach that compromises a data subject's confidentiality, security or privacy, the controller involved shall, as soon as practical, in the circumstances, notify the personal data breach to the DIFC Commissioner of Data Protection. If a processor discovers its personal data breach, the processor is required to notify the relevant controller without undue delay. The notification to the Commissioner should describe the nature of the personal data breach, including, where possible, the categories and approximate number of data subjects concerned and the categories and approximate number of personal data records concerned, communicate the name and contact details of the Data Protection Officer, or other contact point where more information can be obtained, describe the likely consequences of the personal data breach, and describe the measures taken or proposed to be taken by the controller to address the data breach. Very similar to the GDPR position, when a personal data breach is likely to result in a high risk to the security or rights of a data subject, the controller shall communicate the personal data breach to an affected data subject as soon as possible. This notification is expected to include the nature of the personal data breach, the name and contact details of the data protection officer or other contact point, the likely consequences of the data breach and the measures taken to address the data breach. So very similar to GDPR in many ways, the possible exception being that of the notification of the data breach as soon as practical rather than having a set time limit of 72 hours as we have in GDPR. Whilst the new law allows the regulators to impose fines on companies who suffer a data breach, it does not have a specific formula to use, unlike GDPR's 4% turnover. However, what is defined is that the data protection law imposes a fine of up to $50,000 for failing to notify a data breach to either the data commissioner or the data subject. So Dubai is another country now which is basing its data protection law heavily upon GDPR and of course this is a pattern which regular listeners will know we've seen across the world and is to be very much welcomed because if we can achieve a common standard for data security across the world then that has to be good for every one of us as data subject. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday 4pm UK time. You say laughter, and I say laughter. You say after, and I say after. Laughter, laughter, after, after. Let's call the whole thing off. Another question asked of our helpline this week was whether de-identified information, as defined in CCPA, the California Citizen Privacy Act, is the same as anonymization under GDPR. And, well, our feeling is, yes, it is. They both mean exactly the same thing. It's just a different way of saying the same thing, hence the music we chose to introduce this article. Because de-identified information within CCPA 
is defined to mean information that cannot reasonably identify, relate to, describe, be capable of being associated with, or be linked directly or indirectly to a particular consumer. Whilst anonymization under GDPR says the information cannot reasonably identify an individual as, as de-identified, meaning that the data has been irreversibly prevented from being used to identify an individual. So, two different ways of saying the same thing, but yes. De-identified information under CCPA would count as anonymised data under GDPR and vice versa. So we hope that clears that one up for you. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.